Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 34 in the book of John entitled Grief, Then Joy, where we discuss John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, to me, the final verse of this section is so sweet. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Mm. And so we're going to talk about grief that turns to joy. Now, our grief and our suffering and struggle in this world um, is is common. It's something that uh, everyone experiences. Could be medical issues, could be the death of loved ones, could be uh, financial issues. And the disciples face those kinds of things too, but they had an additional grief and sorrow. They had to see Jesus, whom they loved, who they interacted with intimately, mm. taken from them that very night and accused convicted and executed in the most horrible way. That is the grief Jesus is addressing here directly. You are going to have a grief or sorrow such as you have never had in your life, but then you're going to rejoice in some ways that you have, couldn't even imagine. And so they really represent all of us to some degree as we are tied to the person of Jesus, mm. his suffering, his death, and then his resurrection and the sorrow and joy that connects with that. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, and so that we can have a sense of the arc of this passage, I'm going to read verses 16 through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Andy, what does Jesus speak of when he says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me? What's he talking about? Here? Well, there's one of two possibilities. Uh, you're talking about the immediate circumstances of Jesus being arrested, taken from them, and dying, and then um, you know, being buried, and then on the third day rising again. Um, and so that does fit the context. That is about what's about to happen. But then we could also extend it that to some degree, the triune God, uh, speaking through Jesus here, but then uh, through the Holy Spirit moving the Apostle John decades later to write this, is speaking mm -hmm. a broader message to all Christians across 20 plus centuries of church history. In that case, then the little while you will see me no more, and then a little while you will see me would refer more to the second coming of Christ. Hmm. Um, and to the end of our time in this world. And so the idea is we have a little while of suffering to go through, and then we will suffer no more. Uh, there'll be no more death, mourning, crying, and pain. And I think that's ultimately the way all Christians should read this, because the very narrow uh, interpretation just has to do with those that were in the upper room that he hand-selected to be apostles, and what they were about to go through watching him be taken from them. And that's important, but a more timeless message is the sorrow and suffering all Christians have in this present age, and then being delivered at last from that in the next, in the world to come. Mm. And right on the heels of Jesus' statement here, the disciples have some questions. What were the disciples' questions in verses 17 through 18, and why was it consistently so hard for them to understand the things that Jesus said to them? Well, he's going to say later in this very text that he's speaking figuratively, and mm. he's not, not giving them clear, uh, complete explanations, so it's not surprising. He even says at the beginning of this whole section uh, in John 13, you do not understand what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. So they're, they're just taking the exact thing he just said and saying it back a little while what does a little while mean and i don't i don't get it what is he saying and they and they were doing this throughout his public ministry it's mm -hmm. like you know peter didn't understand about about uh you know uh, everything that goes into a man's mouth and declaring all foods clean and so he asked questions they asked about the parables what does that mean they didn't get it and i think we're all thankful because we don't kind of get it either. And and so when they ask questions, they get fuller explanations. So yeah. praise God for that. Yeah, we're really thankful for that. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what about that, that Jesus? Yeah. yeah. So what does verse 19 teach us then about Jesus' knowledge of and his love for his disciples? Well, he knows uh, what's going on. And we see this again and again. We see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they might be having private discussions, but he knows what they're talking about. Like when they forgot to bring bread. They're going across the lake and they're bickering and they're off to the side. They want Jesus to know. And they're like, oh, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. I got it last time. It's like, no, what are you talking about? Oh, oh, nothing, nothing. Right. But he knows exactly. Like the kids in the backseat of the car. It's like, what's going on back there? Nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing. We're good. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts and he knew that they were, I mean, and, and again, keep in mind, they are overwhelmed mm -hmm. with sorrow mm -hmm. and grief. Peter, James, and John fall asleep in Gethsemane, the scripture tells us, because they're so overwhelmed with sorrow and grief and fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so he really wants to minister to them. And so he, he knows what they want to ask him. So as we move through this passage, we come to verse 20 and uh, Jesus uses this image of the delivery of a child. Mm -hmm. um, what does that teach us about the disciples' journey through mm -hmm. the world? Yeah, it's a very important question. Uh, this is what I generally teach here at the church. And, and you know this, Wes, and, and this, is, this is the way I've kind of organized my overall big picture answer to what are we doing in the world, okay? There is one central thing that must happen with us while we're in the world, and that is we must have our sins forgiven through faith in Christ. Mm. We must be brought from death to life 
and be reconciled to God, all of the treasures of justification. But we found, normally, when that happens, he leaves us here in the world. Okay, now what? We've received the thing that overcomes the world that First John mentions. We have received the gift of faith. We are going to heaven when we die, all of that. Now what? Well, we are left here on earth for two purposes. And that is, uh, one central overarching purpose is to glorify God, but in two ways. The two journeys, making progress in the two journeys, the internal journey of personal holiness, sanctification, growth in Christ likeness, and the external journey of gospel advance uh, from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, that, that lost people will be brought to faith in Christ. And recognizing that the two journeys are meshed, so other Christians are around us, they're making progress in holiness, we can mm-hmm. help them with that. That is what we're left here. Well, what I've realized, the more I've meditated on it, is it is impossible to make progress at all in either of those two journeys without suffering. Mm. It is absolutely required that we be willing to suffer. In this world, we will grieve. In this world, we will cry. In this world, we will hurt. We will face overwhelmingly challenging circumstances. We will face bitter trials. We will have difficulties every step of the way. Mm. So this metaphor of a woman in anguish about to give birth is helpful for us, all of us Christians, to realize this anguish that we are going through, this pain and suffering has a beautiful, happy, delightful end. That's Mm -hmm. the image, that's what the parable is about, the parable of the pregnant woman crying out in anguish. And so Jesus says, she's got anguish, she's got pain, it's real, it hurts, but there's a good outcome in all of this. And there are many such teachings, you know, think about, you know, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The, this, this sorrowing is temporary, but mm-hmm. the rejoicing is, is eternal. So just to be told that is helpful. Yeah, I think it's also helpful, and maybe you can talk a little more about this, why we must experience grief, or maybe a better way to phrase it would be the the fruit of this grief. What does it produce in us as Christians? And what's the difference between the way we suffer in the world and the way the world suffers? Sure. The there are there are griefs and sorrows that are common to all people. I mentioned that at the beginning of this podcast. You know, there are just some things that we go through. And that came because of Adam, because of Adam's sin. Because mm. sin entered the world and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. That's Romans 5. That's universality, of, that's the doctrine of original sin, and all of the grief and misery and sorrow that has come because of sin. And so we, we're gonna see wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, disease, suffering. We're still in COVID-19 now, the viral uh, pandemic that has brought so much suffering and upheaval to the world, both physically for the sick people mm-hmm. and their families, and then economically for pretty much everybody. Um, and all of these sorrows, and it's because of sin. Mm. You know, Adam, on behalf of the human race, asked for an education in evil. Well, this is what evil looks like. It it brings pain. Jesus, in his generosity and grace, stepped into misery and sorrow and suffering. He became a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He didn't need to do that. He was happy in heaven on his throne in heaven. And he entered the world knowing he would die, knowing he would suffer and die. And so for me, I think knowing this metaphor of a pregnant woman in anguish, it's just the nature of sin and suffering in this world. But there is a unique suffering to Christians that non-Christians don't have, and it's the two-journey suffering, okay? Mm -hmm. The suffering we have in resisting temptation and putting sin to death, they don't have that. 
and then the suffering that we have in persecution that comes when the unbelieving world beats up on Christians who are trying to lead them to Christ. They don't have that either. So we have the, all of the normal sorrows, <laughs> plus these additional ones in the two journeys. And, and we've seen before in the book of John, even the relationship between, you know, if we were, if we were of the world, if we were the world, the world would love us, right? We yeah. wouldn't have trouble in this world. But then you think about the eternal implications of that, that it's not ultimately in this life that we hope to be loved, but that long-term relationship. And, and Jesus, I think, teaches to this point as well about the relationship between yeah. the disciples and the Father. So in verses 23 and 24, what does he teach us about our future relationship with the Father? Yeah, he's, he is saying all of this, the end of everything he came to do is to bring us to the Father. Hmm. And it's just such a beautiful thing. Jesus is so Father-centered here at the end, and he wants the disciples to be every bit as Father-centered as he is. I want to continue with that, but I want to say one more thing about the woman, uh, the pregnant woman giving birth. Hmm. It, it foreshadows something overtly taught in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21.4, which says there'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Our sorrow, our suffering is temporary. We're going to a world in which there will be no more death, mourning, crying, and pain. Now, I want to explain, um, modify, let's say, Jesus' statement when he said uh, the woman doesn't remember her grief or sorrow anymore. Well, she does. But I think it's a, it's a comparative aspect, how much more kind of thing. It's like Jesus says, if anyone doesn't hate his father or mother, his brothers, his wife, his children, even his own life, mm. he cannot be my disciples. I think that's the kind of forgetting that we have here. I don't think we really forget anything. We don't forget what lies behind absolutely. It has to do with a focus. So in heaven, I really do believe we'll remember our sufferings. But they won't bring us any, any sorrow. Mm. We'll remember them in a triumphant, grace-filled sort of way. Look what God brought us through. And not just us, but our brothers and sisters. We're going to celebrate other people's martyrdom. Mm. Paul says it. He says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, the church, Colossians, right? Mm -hmm. he, well, if Paul rejoiced then at what was suffered for them, how much more are we all going to rejoice at what cumulatively was suffered by the church to get the elect up in heaven? That's going to be a point of honor for the martyrs and for the sufferers and for the. So we're not going to absolutely forget our sorrows and sufferings, but the joy will be infinitely greater. It'll drive away any sorrow from those memories. So that's, I think, what Jesus means by that. That's amazing, and it's such a helpful metaphor because you think about. Just that picture of a mother holding her child and yeah. remembering that that was a painful experience, yeah. but just seeing uh, the face of her child and being able to yeah. celebrate and rejoice. About Here's it. how we can make sense also of Jesus' uh, words. Uh, you could see the, the woman there. She's crying tears of joy. She's holding this newborn baby, a little boy, a little girl, a little infant. You know, the dad's there. They're just, they're all crying. It's just the baby's crying out of pain, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic for them. <laughs> Dramatic, well. yeah. It's like, yeah, that was fine, and look what you did. Anyway, but there's mom and dad. But if you ask the woman this question, if you could go backward and not experience the pain, but not have the child, would you do that? What mm. would she say? Absolutely. There's not. no chance. No way. 
it's it's not even worth comparing. That's what she would say. And that's what Jesus means. I did say before the podcast, I think Jesus is the only man, male in history, <laughs> that can get away with this assertion about a woman's pain and childbearing. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, well, that's no big deal. No, Jesus being God gets to say these words. But we as husbands need to be really careful how we say things like this. Well, thanks, Andy. This has been part one of episode 34 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for part two of episode 34, where we'll finish our discussion of John chapter 16. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.